You're listening to Sound Ground, a celebration of sound, of voice, of story, and change, where we seek to illuminate instances of relationships with nature. I'm your host, Agnieszka Zuchora, or affectionately known as Aggie. We express our infinite gratitude for Mother Nature, for Earth, and everything that it carries us through. We also want to acknowledge the land where this is being recorded. I myself am on the land of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. Your other host, Anne-Marie, is located on the land of the Wasanich people, and Abigail Lalonde is on the land of the Ganyagahaga. We give gratitude for the wisdom and leadership of Indigenous communities and a continued commitment to living in harmony with nature. On today's podcast, we introduce Sound Ground. We share a little bit about what inspired the podcast and what each of our connections and relationships to sound and ground are. Welcome. We're so happy to be here with you. Hello, both. <laughs> Thank you so Hello. much for being here. <laughs> I am so excited that this is going to be our first episode of the podcast and to introduce everyone to Sound Ground and kind of how it came to be and what our intention is behind it all. It's been such a special journey getting to meet you both and, and get to do some of this work. So I think it'll be really wonderful to be able to share this out into the world. Yeah. Does anyone want to start with the story of of how we kind of, this came to be? I think you know the story best because <laughs> it a little heart, didn't it? Yeah, I think it kind of came from both of us. And Abby, we were introduced a little later, but yeah, just the, just finding ways to communicate the work that Nature R&D was doing and how we can make it a creative space and a way to, to create community as well, I think was something that was really important for all of us. And I just remember sitting on your land, Anne-Marie, and having snacks and having these conversations with this massive, what are they called? Those like paper like post-its yeah, yeah. <laughs> and coming up with all these ideas just like throwing around words mm. and at some point we somehow just landed on knowing we wanted it to be two words and we wanted it to rhyme and sound ground kind of sat there for a little bit before we were like we you know we came up with all these other ideas but that was the one that we resonated with us the most for me it was so deeply rooted around kind of the turbulence in the world and feeling very unsettled often and finding that form of grounding and how in my life, both sound and ground are such pillars as uh, as ways of helping me connect both through earthing, through connecting my feet to the ground and being out in nature, but then also working with sound instruments like tuning forks and crystal bowls and gongs and then the essence of the frequencies that the earth emits and like the trees and the birds and everything so yeah sound ground was very it just like sat so deeply for me and I'm curious what your experiences were 
also want to give some uh, props and credit to uh, Jameson Daniel and Megan Ennenberg for doing our intro. I'm lucky to have musicians on site uh, to, um, yeah, mix in a little nature with some beautiful human vocals. For me, I don't have a lot of experience in the sound uh, in the in the podcast space, and so I feel very lucky that both with Agnieszka, who is sometimes called Aggie, and Abigail, who is sometimes called Abby. <laughs> um, uh, in both cases, you both found me and wanted to do biomimicry and expand out nature R&D. So I feel very grateful, yeah, to be learning alongside and to sort of be either angels or warriors or kindred spirits or something in this space of nature R&D's mission is to ignite the creative spirit in everyone and create more opportunities for good choices in the lives of everyday people. And so to me, this podcast is a way to start talking about that solution space, to start not just being well-versed in the problems, but looking at the solution. And for me, as we're recording this episode, the president of COP28 is trying to stop the inclusion of phasing out fossil fuels in the, um, uh, you know, hopeful agreements that are coming out of the COP. We also have the whole Indigenous Advisory Committee to CN Railway having resigned, like Canada's most well-known and active Indigenous community, resigning because CN is getting caught up on the language of apologies. And then we also have our global community getting caught up on the language of ceasefires, including our own country wanting to talk about humanitarian pauses just so they don't say. So for me, this space of sound ground is also about starting to create a, a shared language about what is really happening. And Nature R&D is also trying to play in that space of, not trying to, but is playing in that space of what are we calling this? What are we noticing? What are we doing about it? How can we trust? And then, and then I guess in nature, what I will say about ground is not only does the ground hold the space for us to be stable and for all the connections between the trees and, you know, like everything that happens there to hold it, hold our planet, the surface of our planet, but also the soil processes the atmosphere. And so uh, all these greenhouse gases get process processed, you know, through the through the work of the soil, which is a microbiome. So yeah, just to always keep a good consciousness around how can we heal the place we are, and how can we use language that helps create those connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels very deeply just like the interconnectedness of of everything that we're trying to discuss and how foundational 
language and frequency and the planet are in building those connections because we all have some sort of relationship to sound or to the earth or to to the languages that we speak right it's somehow connected to culture and community and and we do speak different languages ways things are interpreted in different ways and this is even in like in speaking english you know people are going to have different perceptions and different interpretations and it's the same thing with people's relationship to land some people will see it as an inconvenience and something to be removed in order to to create something else some people have a spiritual connection to it their you know ancestors are there or they believe that their ancestors are in that earth or some people see it as something to grow something to cultivate something to manage and so there's there's all these different ways that we can interpret things and i wonder if it it truly is possible to come into that that shared understanding and what that would look like and how we we bridge all these kind of gaps in our interpretations that's what we're trying to do yeah (laughs) it's all part of it what about you Abby? you're making me think i'm thinking about this idea that i've well it's not an idea it's more of a principle that's held close to the heart this idea that relationship is a conversation and that 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 conversation doesn't have to be linear, doesn't necessarily have to be grounded in understanding, but that it is ongoing mm-hmm. and that the people that are engaging in that conversation are committed to it um, and to showing up with like honesty and integrity as much as they possibly can, understanding that that's not always feasible, mm-hmm. um, but having some empathy and compassion for when it isn't. I feel like that sort of speaks to what you were saying, Aggie, about how sometimes these conversations can feel disjointed and it's tricky to figure out how how they connect. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many things are connected. Like I think that there is inevitably an entanglement between sound and ground. Mm-hmm. In the same way that there is inevitably an entanglement between anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but articulating that entanglement and understanding the nuances of that, uh, that like, ball of yarn or mm-hmm. mycorrhizal network is a labor and it's a love and trying to figure out the words to say what you mean but also to be understood mm-hmm. is such an endeavor um, it's something that I'm deeply committed to both in my work and in my personal life um, which are also enmeshed together <laughs> when I was thinking about my relationship to sound the first thing that came to mind was how undeniably sensitive I am to it. Mm. How loud it is to live in Montreal. How much I noticed last week when my power went out and the fridge wasn't making the sound that the fridge makes. Oh. How good it feels to to step outside and hear the rain and remember that that there are things that are happening and that I'm affected by them. Mm-hmm. And how important listening is to me. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not necessarily tied or tethered to like understanding, which I feel like is a very complicated, complicated space to occupy understanding because everyone has their own different 
embodied experiences. Mm-hmm. Everyone uses words a different way, but rather to just listen and at least be in the company of someone with the intention of hearing them and absorbing. And then that brings me to ground, like the idea of absorption, the idea of like meeting someone mm-hmm. and like the undeniable connection that we have to the ground in that we're always in contact in some way or another with this rootedness mm-hmm. um, and that we can't be removed from it. And so to me, sound ground is like, those are two words, but ultimately they're like one. Mm-hmm. And they they the work that we do here is, I guess, to understand that intersection mm-hmm. um, as best as we can with three different minds and three different hearts and three different bodies and three different experiences. And to try to understand how to show up for people who are not represented by us three mm-hmm. um, and to listen and to offer our voices and the lands that we're rooted in, in solidarity. That's really beautiful, Abby. In you speaking, I was what really stuck out to me is entanglement and how everything is so deeply connected in it. And we can't necessarily pull things apart and you know, in my in my reflection of of sound and ground, and also this this witnessing that they are interconnected, what kept coming up for me is that it's it's all about feeling. It's difficult to articulate what might come up for us—a sensation or a relationship—but it's it's that feeling, and that to me, very similarly, I'm I'm quite sensitive to sounds, and I'm quite sensitive to the changes of the seasons and my relationship to land. And it's never a cognitive thing that happens first. It's always a feeling. And it's that same thing with relationship, right? You meet someone and you kind of just like, you know that they're going to be in your life in some form, or you know that they're not, or you, you feel a resonance in some sort of way. And it also makes me think of how I've, I've heard this quote that love is a verb. It's an action. And, and that's not just an intimate partnership, which is what it seems that we focus on so much, but it's, it's the love of the land. It's the love of community. It's the love of the rain on a tin roof or a plant growing or crossing paths with a stranger, hearing a busker on the street, hearing the crickets at night, right? It's, it's all these beautiful things that we tend to take advantage of and to miss out on because we're moving so quickly and we're processing logically and thinking. And it's that sense of coming back to feeling. And it's almost like we can alter time in those moments where we can come back to the feeling and noticing of what is going on around us and actively choosing to show up from a space of love every day. And listening is such a huge part of that, because how can we hear other perspectives and be open to other people's experiences if we are not choosing to show up from a space of love and softness and a willingness to be curious? That's another thing that keeps coming up for me is curiosity and the importance of that. Mm. Uh, I want to pick up on what you said about the hum of the refrigerator because um it took me a while like I have a background in mediation I'm now 55 years old and when I was about 45 years old or 44 years old 
it seemed crazy for me to indulge myself in the world of biomimicry because I should be putting my kids through school. You know, I should be like at this time in my life of just pure responsibility. And anyway, I fell in love with biomimicry, which is, of course, looking, learning from nature and listening to nature, quieting the cleverness to understand, you know, how does nature solve the problem? And anyway, one thing after another, and suddenly the next thing you knew, I was not only enrolled in the master's program, but doing the biomimicry professional program and um, in Louisiana. And we were having a design jam to try to, and all the groups had different challenges, but our challenge was to try to deal with the hum of the refrigerator or what you would call white noise sometimes. And white noise is one of my like pet peeves. If there's a fan going somewhere in the house, like I can't do it. Some people turn on a noise machine to sleep. That would send me you know, spheric. And so anyway, I was like, yes, I will work on this problem. And I got assigned two engineers. And so in biomimicry, you have this interdisciplinary thing happening all the time, uh, where there's a deep belief that everybody has a piece of the puzzle. And so I was with these two engineers for um, like a day and a half trying to solve this problem. Where has nature muffled sound? And so we looked at like the paws of cougars and, um, you know, a lot to do with whiskers and, and hair and fur does a lot of sound muffling. But anyway, because they were engineers, I said to them, would it be possible to cause all the vibrations of the white noise to tune to middle C? Because then it would be in tune with the sound of the planet. Supposedly spinning makes the sound of middle C, right? And um, anyway, they ran the numbers on it because they're engineers. That's such a beautiful thing about a, a creative space where people are coming from different places, as you were talking about, Aggie, Abby, they were starting to look at. In the end, we came up with something to do with um, uh, the crocodile has these uh, concave depressions in its jaw so it can hear any kind of thing happening on the water. And so we actually engineered those into like um, the walls beside the highway uh, in order to muffle the noise that way. But, um, but yeah, I just love sitting with those engineers and thinking about whether we could get that white noise to tune to middle C. Maybe by putting it out here on the pad podcast, somebody else will will find it. But it also reminds me of that expression, keeping an ear to the ground. Like, I guess this, I guess whether it's water, whether it's earth, different substrates carry sound. Well, and it used to be a thing to listen to the ground to hear what was happening. I don't remember the last time that I put my head up against the ground to listen. I feel like the last time that I was really consciously like in the ground and making noise was the summer on Hornby Island on the beach in that like sort of sandstone depression in the cliff that Rose and I were calling the face of the earth. And we sat in this like strange little cave and hummed and felt 
the world resonate. It was crazy. It was so beautiful. And we're just staring out at the beautiful ocean um, and humming to the earth and having the earth hum back at us. Makes me think about this, this thought, this process that I had when I came back from BC this summer, um, where I was thinking about missing the ocean and wondering if the ocean missed me too. And thinking of missing the trees and wondering if the trees missed me too. And it touches on this thought that I've had a lot of, which is it's grounded in, in the knowing that humans belong to the earth and, and that humans are of the earth. And the fact that there is a sort of hierarchy in terms of, of species relevance as constructed by human society that posits that humans are more valuable than their ecosystems. And that creates a divide between land and life. But to think about the ways in which like trees might miss us in the same way that I might miss a tree makes me makes me aware of and reminds me of the relationship. Once again, like going back to that relationship, like the relationship that you have with the engineers trying to come up with, like sort of maybe coming from different spaces, but this idea that like we are close and and our presence is appreciated and like that that tenderness can be extended past just oneself and one species and towards other beings that are essential for our thriving and to be aware that like that is like their existence is a gift to us and our existence can be a gift to them as well like that reciprocity is relevant if not incredibly important Mm -hmm. yeah science is so behind on recognizing the love of nature which includes human nature and feelings and everything like yeah i think the ocean misses you very much happy (laughs) and the trees the ocean I have um I have a lot of different homes. I have a home in in Montreal um that I like currently am in right now, my my apartment in Verdun. I have a home that I grew up in in Laval, which is just across the water. Um and I have a home in Gaspe, which is like my ancestral home. Like my grandparents are from there. Um I learned today that my family has lived on, like has been settled on the land that is known as Canada for over 400 years, like since before the Confederation, um, which creates a really, it's really interesting to be a product of, of like the te- technologies of settler colonialism, as well as from just like a deep connection and refusal to leave this land and to be like relocated post that settler experience. It comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of acknowledgement on my part, but it makes me think about all the trees that I I am kin to because I have relationships with like very specific trees. It goes back into the three tree rule that that the Russian initiative is working on, but that is a tale for another day. But I am wondering about, as we think about like trees and we think about sound and we think about ground, maybe what are some of the trees that you feel attached to? Like what are some things that make you feel grounded to sound and to space? I'm 
still stuck on you being in that sandstone and humming and being surrounded by the hum of the earth. Um, yes, can you talk a little bit about the work that you do to do with sound, Agnieszka, so that the world can appreciate what's there? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which is also related to what brings me grounding. So this works. Yeah, Abby, in, in you speaking of humming and having that resonance surround you and how nature naturally creates these spaces where sound can be amplified and felt. And, you know, we're... We see objects as as physical matter, and we forget that matter is still energy. And so everything still emits some sort of frequency and has some sort of energetic field, humans included. And some of the work that I do with sound is to support in the regeneration of the body and the self-healing of the body in different ways by bringing it into alignment with frequencies such as the planetary frequencies like the earth. So one of my favorite tuning forks is actually when I can't get out and stick my feet into the earth, I will use an earth-tuned tuning fork and place it under my feet because it instantly kind of like brings me back to that grounding. And you would think that it's like, it's just vibration. Like what, how could this possibly happen? But Einstein is quoted saying that the future of medicine is, um, is energy, is frequency. And it makes me think of how our bodies shift when we're in a space where we can feel the vibration of sounds or coming back to the mycelial networks, how they are in the ground. They have these conversations with the whole ecosystem of the earth, but they also emit a sound. There's so many videos up there where speakers are connected to mycelial networks or or mushrooms and and they emit these incredible sounds and frequencies and patterns and i'm so curious you know what the world would look like and what human existence in connection would look like if we acknowledge that we all emit a frequency and we in the same way we absorb different frequencies not just from other humans but from animals and from plant life i want to jump in there's um mm -hmm apostle bird i believe in australia that emits a frequency that compacts the mud of its nest wow yeah so frequency uh does affect matter you know you can even um put out fires with sound that's incredible yeah i saw these uh if you look it up on youtube um you'll find these two guys who created this like uh gizmo that you can put a fire out with a with a sort of I don't know what it is they're holding but some kind of like handheld device sound one of my greatest uh like discoveries early on in trying to understand patterns in nature was about the looking at the face of the greater horseshoe bat who is one of the best sort of echolocators working with with sound the one of the best biological champion, the greater horseshoe bat, 
has the same morphology or the same shaping uh, as the orchid, um, as many orchids, if you look at them, if you put them side by side, mm -hmm. they look much alike. And people talk about talking to plants all the time. But anyway, you start to realize how plants just look like every kind of musical instrument and that, you know, they're super set up to hear the vibrations of their pollinators. So just getting to your question, Abby, about favorite plant life, to understand that that other species are also attuning to vibration in order to decide what their next move should be feels like we don't really give nature enough credit in that space and maybe as a result don't lean into or acknowledge maybe everything that's going on for us personally which is mm. kind of what you were talking about how how sensitive you actually are and can be and can use sound as a healing modality mm -hmm. I love that you can bring it back to biomimicry and nature. And I totally forgot about how so many plants are look like a lot of the instruments that we've created. And I've seen that picture of, of the bat and the orchid, and it's just phenomenal. Like the and that plants emit a frequency or, or create shapes to attract pollinators it's just it's all right there <laughs> it blows my mind every time <laughs> we've got a sacred connection going here between sound and ground mm -hmm. and um hopefully we can uh make the space to inspire some solutions and creativity in the people who join this conversation mm -hmm. Well, that feels like a really great ending point and a great vision for what this podcast will become. And I really hope that that's how it's received. And I know that we're all open to feedback and suggestions and, and comments. So we'll put little links in the, in the description and we hope to continue connecting with everyone. Thanks so much, both of you. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more, visit naturerind.com and click subscribe to keep up to date with when we launch new podcasts. We can't wait to hear from you and to connect with you. Thanks so much for being here. You're listening to Soundground. 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 Presented by Nature R&D.